Open your Bibles to the book of 1 John. 1 John chapter 2 and uh, verse 12 through 14. And I'll read it. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I have written to you, children, because you know the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. So for the last couple months, we've been studying with uh, Brother Mugove through the book of First John, and we found that this in this book, John is trying to tell us how we can be assured of our salvation. And he gives us between 34 and 36 tests, depending on how you count, tests of salvation, such as if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. But on the contrary, if we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. And so we've been finding that this book is dedicated to, to how can I know If I have truly been born again, how do I know if I am truly uh, God's child? And then right in the middle of this book, he gives us this section on the little children, the young men, and the fathers. Now, to the casual or the reader that's not paying very close attention, this might seem kind of odd, misplaced. Why Why is John, he's trying to tell us how we can walk in the light, how we can know if we've been truly born again. And he suddenly puts in this section about little children, fathers, and young men. And I'll explain that in just a minute. But first, let me say, this passage is a very important passage. It's, it's, a, it's a passage that inspired Ralph Benning, this guy, to write a whole book, 273 pages long, on the fathers, the little children, and the young men. So I'm only scratching the very surface of this text. And its glories, because this guy, he was able to write a whole book on it. So um, the reason why it's placed in is because uh, if you look at the context, in verse 6 it says, the one, uh, By this we know we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. How will you know if you're walking in the same manner as he's, he has walked? You, you will know if you are suiting the three marks, the marks he gives for every single individual category. And, and then in verses 7 and 8, he again tells us he's not writing us a new commandment, but an old commandment. This will go, we dealt with that last time. He explained how it's new and how it's old. And as he's explaining, the commandment is not how are we now going to apply it to us. And what John is first going to start out by saying is there are many levels of spiritual maturity. He's, so he's saying, some people, they're only going to be able to reach this level. And they're going to be godly Christians, but they're not going to be able to surpass little children, for example. And some are going to be fathers, and some are going to be young men. And so he's trying to tell us, if you're in your category, how should you live? What markers should you have? And so he writes, uh, firstly, to little children. But before I jump into the text, there's one more thing that we must note. Every single section is repeated. So he goes, children, fathers, young men, 
Then he repeats it again, children, fathers, young men. So he's, he, he's, he's repeating himself. And for the little children and the young men, it's different markers each time. But for the fathers, it's the same marker. So what, this is trying to, what John is trying to tell us is, here's what you see when you first see this group, you think they have this level of experience. When you first see the children, you only think these guys, they're only receiving. They're not really giving anything. But later on, John realizes they're giving. Same thing with the young men. He says at first he just thinks that they're overcoming sin, but then he realizes why are they doing this? Because they're strong and because they have the word of God abiding in them. And this is evidenced by his use of the word right. In the verses 12 and 13, the first three times he says, I am writing to you, or I write if you have an ESV. It's to say, it's the present tense, I am writing to you. But then, he's right, but then he says, it's in the past so that you can know, oh, this is, um, once, you, once, you, once you examine the group more carefully, you see, I have written to you. Um, then he gives the past tense. And so my thesis for this whole lesson is, in the spiritual life, we are all expected to bear fruit. God expects every single one of us to be participating in something. But for every one of us, that's going to look different. So what it's going to look like for Mr. Mugobi is not going to be the same for Nico, etc. So the first group is the little children. The children's sin, the first marker John gives us is the sins are forgiven. And in this book, Venning devotes most of this book to little children and the babes. So Venning, is, Venning has a lot to tell us. Little children know that their sins are forgiven. So this is, this is the only passive verb in our whole text. And it shows the children are primarily having the action done to them. What's the difference between they are forgiven and I forgive? It's the passive. I'm just receiving in the first case. In the second case, I'm giving the forgiveness. So while all the other verbs in the passage the fathers are knowing, the young men are overcoming, the children are later on knowing. And right here, the children are just being forgiven. They're just receiving. And this illustrates the beautiful fact of salvation. God is going to act first. Before any men act in this passage, God acts by first forgiving the little children. Before you can progress and try to go kill your sin, you must be forgiven by the father. And secondly, if it's perfectly with little children, if you think of a child, he's kind of weak, can't really help himself. He needs his parents to take care of him, his parents to feed him, his parents to do everything for him, to pay for his education. So little children, they have to receive everything. As we're going to see later on, God expects us to start becoming more active the more we grow. But when we start out, John's just saying, just focus on receiving faith, receiving the forgiveness of the Father. And we see that these children need spiritual help. When you're still young, when you're still a young believer, John's saying it's okay if you're just, if all you're doing is you're just drinking milk, you're only receiving. And um, John is also the only person in the Bible to use the word little children. This, this word is a technonia in Greek, and it's saying the only, the, John is the only one to use it because he's writing this as an old man. So he's 80 or 90 years old when he's writing the books versus the other authors of the Bible who aren't so old when they're writing. So when John's writing this book, he's, he's, he, basically everyone, even if you're 70 years old in John's audience, you're going to be a little child to him. And so he's writing to this saying, all of you in my eyes are little children. And he, he has many 
cross-references. He uses this word about six, I, uh, I, don't, I didn't count, I think it's like seven times. And <clears throat> he knows that children are liable to be easily deceived because we see in 1 John 3, 7, he says, little children make sure that no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. So we see this first marker is these children only have the basics. They're only drinking milk. They're only receiving. But then we see their reaction in verse, 14, uh, in verse 13. He says, I have written to you, children, because you know the Father. The children also know and love the Father. At first, we, think, we look at these children and we think, what is their motive for their belief? And it looks like they're only, it's only a selfish motive, almost. It's almost like these children are only believing because they want to be saved from hell or from their sin. But then John is saying, no, we, I want you to have a living faith too. If your faith is only because you're terrified of hell, you're terrified of Satan and demons and witchcraft and whatever, whatever, if you're only terrified of that type of stuff, you're not actually uh, knowing the Father, having personal experience. Um, in the 1700s, the English Baptists had a big debate, and they were debating, uh, can a man be saved if he's only terrified of hell? His only motive for believing in Jesus is, I'm terrified of hell, I'm terrified of my sin, I, don't, I really don't want to be burned, burnt in fire, so please, Jesus, save me. And their answer basically was, no, if your only purpose for salvation is selfish, then you're not truly born again. And that's, John, that's what John is saying too. I've written to you children because you know the Father. So he's expecting us, even at the earliest stages, to have some spiritual experience. Now, it's not going to be much, but he wants us to have some. So these children are like little faith in the Pilgrim's Progress. If you're reading the book group with us, little faith is the guy in the Pilgrim's Progress who starts on the journey. He's going along. He has true faith, but then some robbers come up and they attack him. They beat him and they throw him on the ground. And when they do that, they steal all of his money, all his earthly possessions. And the only thing he's left with is he's left with his, with his certificate into heaven and his jewel of faith. And so little faith, though, even though the whole time he's a weak Christian, he sits down and cries for a month at the slew of despondency, and he's very weak in the narrow gate. But he is a tr- he's truly born again because he has put his faith in the right object. The thief on the cross would fit into this category of little children. The thief on the cross did not have time to um, overcome his sin for certain. We don't, he, he couldn't have fulfilled the, most of these tests in John. If you ask the thief on the cross what's justification, if you ask the thief on the cross what's a book after um, Obadiah in the Bible, he couldn't have told you. But the thief on the cross was truly born again because he knew his sins were forgiven and he had some spiritual experience with Christ. He saw that he was a savior. And so we see conversely, and um, John says, for this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. It is a mark of spiritual danger <clears throat> if you do not know the Father. So John's trying to tell us, I'm expecting you to know the Father. If you don't know him, it's also a mark of danger. Um, John's word to describe this group has also changed. No longer are they the little children. They're now children only. Um, if you can see that most, most Bibles will say little children in verse 12, but then children in verse 13. And so John is expecting us to... Um, John is expecting us to have some spiritual experience. And he also says, he exhorts some little children, let us not love with word or in tongue, but indeed in truth. So that also backs up the fact, that's 3 verse 18, 
that it's not love in word or in tongue, but indeed in truth. And that's backing up the fact that John is expecting us to be overthrowing the sin, even at the, as little children. But he also knows these guys aren't really suited out to fight the spiritual battle because his last warning in the whole book is, little children, guard yourselves from idols. The very last verse. So he's saying, you guys are you're, you're going to be deceived. So if you're a little child and you say, I think, I think I'm starting out in this faith. I think I want to believe, but how can I know the Father? Well, the best way, the best solution is to know the Son. Jesus said, no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. And in re- that's Matthew eleven twenty seven. Then in response to Philip's question in John 14, 9, Philip says, show us the Father and it's enough. He's like trying to show off. Oh, I'm really spiritual. And then uh, Jesus replies, have I been with you so long and yet you do not know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? John 14, 9. So the solution is to look to Christ and love Christ. If you want to reach this final phase, if you want to reach this first phase, sorry, of spiritual maturity, look to Christ and you will see the Father. Um, there, there are also, Venning gives these um, seven exhortations. I'll just read them out to you. I thought it'd be helpful. It says, to the little children who are discouraged, <clears throat> you have gone farther than you know. You have gone far enough to be saved, number two. Number three, the gate of hell shall not prevail against your faith. Four, only a true saint could have had the, your experiences. Number five, there is true spiritual joy in heaven over your repentance. Number six, you lack only the knowledge of your happy state. Number seven, keep pressing forward. But it's not enough. Don't, don't expect this is a great start. If you're a little child, it's a great start. But don't expect you've reached it. It's like Christian in the Pilgrim's Progress again. I'm going to reference that book several times. Christian goes and sleeps in the arbor when he's climbing up the hill difficulty. It's, it's almost like he's expected he's already reached there. So if you're a little child, don't expect, oh, yes, I, I'm, I'm doing great. That's a great spiritual error that many people enter. They think when they've passed this first stage, yes, I'm doing well. You're, the road has just begun. You need to go on. And so then Paul even says to the Corinthians, I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you're not able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not able, for you are still fleshly. So then, the, so then we see in the next section the goal. Um, and I've chosen to arrange it not according to age, little children, fathers, young, uh, little children, young men, fathers, because John arranges it, little children, fathers, young men. And I think the reason why he does that is he's first stating the starting point, the goal, and then he's going to give us the practical application or the method to reach it. So I'm going to conclude with the young men. The fathers, their knowledge. Um, so these fathers are marked by knowing. Of the, uh, of the six mark characteristics in these verses, three of them have to do with knowledge. The children, are, um, the children don't have anything really very much to do with knowledge because much of their life is passive, but they do have some spiritual experience. The young men are very busy fighting the devil and evangelizing. So they're, they're, they're not really having time to contemplate and write uh, the imitation of Christ, for example. But the fathers, because they've been you know, journeying with Christ for a long time, they're now devoted. So they, so they really do know the father. They know him who has been from the beginning. And 
we see every type of maturity marks these fathers. They've studied God's attributes because they know these, this name for God. Uh, they also know him because they're trying to unite all knowledge under the, the supremacy of God. Notice they say him who's been from the beginning. So they're stating that God is supposed to be our foundational attribute. The fathers have learned this, and they're trying to unite all of knowledge. So when, if, you're, if you're trying to unite math or chess or any, any idea in life, you're trying to unite it under the idea of God, then you're, being, you're in essence being a father because they're try, they're, they know who, him who's been from the beginning. And they also know the eternal decrees of God. That means they've, they, they know him who's been from the beginning. So they know what is, how is God's plan worked from the foundation of the world. They know what, what was God planning even before the world was created. That's what it means to know him who's been from the beginning. Um, the, the, the analogy here between the fathers and the young men is kind of like Mary and Martha. Mary would be more like the father because she's devoted to Christ and she, would, she, she just wants to listen to his feet, uh, listen at his feet, and she loves hearing the truth. Whereas Martha would be more like the young men because Martha's very active. You know, the young men are very active. <clears throat> and then we see also him who's been from the beginning. This means that they study history. History is a Christian study, so uh, don't assume that history is something you can zone out if you study in school or something. History is a really Christian study. Uh, To know him has been from the beginning, they see how God's providence has been moving throughout history, um, as we studied this morning. And they they know it's not like some deist and liberal theologians think they think God wound up a clock. No, it's known who's been from the beginning means they understand the consummation of history. They understand Christ as the pinnacle of history, the cross, as explained in John 17, to be the pinnacle of history and everything else to be God's building up to it and then his denouement, his grand conclusion after that. And many people, many people want to think God, God maybe set the world in motion, but he's no longer active. But we must, we, must, we must be aware of that. As Christians, we must think, no, God's being active even in the election of the next president, even in the smallest, the smallest, minutest details of life to the biggest ones, God is being active. His hand is guiding that. And these men are like Enoch because they, they are so enraptured with God that uh, he was taken up and he even prophesied his second coming. So this, the, the, these fathers are like Enoch. They've been well-versed and well-studied. And notice John also uses a title or pronoun here to show the, the, the fathers have also realized God's transcendence. So they're not, they're not just, they, they say, who has been from the beginning because they realize the father is so transcendent. Let me, let me not use uh, his name. Let me just try to use a title. Like the Old Testament Israelites used uh, YHWH try, to try to say, God is so high up there. We're not going to dare profane his name by using it in common writing. Um, and then, but finally, the question that you might be wondering that really bugged me in this passage is why do the fathers use the same title? Why does, it, why does John say, because you know him who has been from the beginning in verse 13, and then repeats it in verse 14? That sounds kind of repetitive. No, the reason for this is because these fathers are marked by a life of consistency. They're very consistent in their spiritual disciplines. So if you, want to be, if you want to grow in spiritual maturity, you need to be very consistent in your spiritual devotions and in your uh, prayer life and in your Bible reading. So if you're, if you're trying to grow 
but you're, you're, you're struggling. You're saying, I read three days and then I quit for two weeks. That, that, that's, that's a real sign that of spiritual maturity once you've started um, becoming constant. And <clears throat> because of this, they have experiential maturity. Because if you're constantly doing something every day, then you'll have experiential maturity as well. You know, they've, they've experienced the Father and the Son. They've experienced the Trinity. They've experienced the glorious realities of the cross. While the young men are re- represented by an overwhelming show of force, the fathers are represented by a steady use of the means of grace to reach the end. Amen. <clears throat> William Carey had this attribute when he said, I can plod and persevere. This is my only genius, that I can persevere in any definite pursuit. To this I owe everything. It sounds like he fit John's idea of a father perfectly. He was persevering to the end. If you want to do that, we're not expecting you guys to run. We're not expecting to run a marathon. If, if, you're, if you get into a big race, you're going to run the comrades. You want to run 96Ks. You want to go from um, here to Bungani. And you want to you run that far. If you start out a sprint and try to sprint the whole time, you're going you're gonna to pass out on the way. You're going to quit long before you ever reach there. What you need to do is you need to set a pace. You need to start jogging because if you set a pace and just keep it steadily there, you'll reach the end. And that's the marks of these fathers. They're marked by consistency. They're not marked by a sprinting forward. <clears throat> so then we finally reach to the third section, the young men. So you might be, you're asking by now, okay, I'm a little child. I want to become a father. I want to, be, I want to reach that spiritually mature state. How can, I, how can I do that? And John provides the solution. He says, become a young man. You need to overcome the evil one. Uh, if, you would really, if you really want to mature spiritually, then you must overcome Satan. And notice that, they are, that, that they're, they're going up against odds that they are totally not able to <clears throat> match. Uh, not even My- Michael the archangel could fight Satan uh, in Jude 9. But the Holy Spirit said, greater works than you, the, the, uh, Jesus said, with the power of the Holy Spirit, greater works than these shall you do because I go to my Father. So if we have the power of the Holy Spirit, we can expect to do things that even archangels weren't able to do because we now have the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit of God in our life. And we see the example of um, Caleb in Numbers who says, uh, who quieted the people with God's help by saying, we shall surely overcome the Canaanite forces. Of all the people in the stories, it's only Caleb and Joshua who keep saying, we can overcome, let's keep going, let's keep driving, strive, strive to enter through the narrow gate. So if you want to achieve a state of spiritual maturity, push forward, push, pu- push the limits. And <clears throat> um, it is not enough to know that your sins are forgiven. You must start trying to defeat them. We also see this, it's a mark of the little children in, verse two, in 2 verse 1 to say, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, righteous. So John is expecting if you're a little child, you're going to be sinning quite a bit. But he's saying, when you become a young man, now we're expecting you to start overthrowing your, overcoming your sin. We're expecting you to become an overcomer, like Revelation talks about. Uh, Revel- John prophesies seven rewards for the overcomer in Revelation. Uh, seven blessings if you overcome your sin. So this is a much, this is a deep theme, much talked of theme in John. He wants you to be overcoming your sin. And we see also in the first book, 
John just emphasized believing in Christ because his first book, he's, he's, he's talking to guys like Nicodemus who are just entering the path. They're, they're, still, they're still stuck behind and they say, I want to enter at the narrow gate, but how do I do that? And so John just says, believe in Christ. But in this next book, he's now trying to say, assurance of salvation, how can you get there? So he's now focusing on overcome your sin, become more godly. And we see that's, that, that's really a theme throughout this book. The second attribute is that they are strong. So how can the, how can the young men do this? Because they've been given physical strength. At first, um, it seems like the young men are only busy fighting the devil, but we see the causes because they've spiritually become strong. Of all the groups, John gives the most description to the young men in both attributes and words because they are the, they are the, they're, they're, they're the pathway. He's, he's giving us a practical application, the steps to become from a child to a father. And the book of, the book of Proverbs says that the glory of a young man is his strength. And the, in the NT, we're not expected to go and do like uh, some of the mighty men of David, Benaiah, or some of these other guys. They'll go and they'll slay 800 men, or they'll go and wrestle with a lion in a, uh, in a pit. We're not expected to go do that type of stuff. Instead, John says, get your spiritual sword, get the word of God out, and start fighting your sins, start fighting the devil. And biblical strength is commonly under attack today. The world thinks strength is being able to do 60 push-ups in one go, but that's, that's not it. That's not what John's referring to, at least. The world also thinks it's being popular, but John, after, as John says, very commonly, it's, not, it's, it's actually a mark if you're not being popular. Um, and it's, under, it's commonly under attack because it's putting on the armor of God. And so they're saying, oh, why, why are you doing this? Why are you adopting this weird lifestyle, slaying your sin? But in reality, it's the way to truly gain the most happiness in the next life. How can you grow in this strength? Practice working out spiritually by praying and meditating for long periods about a particular doctrine or sin. Wrestle with your sin and remember Jesus, who resisted to the point of shedding his blood, yet without sin. So if you want to overcome the devil, build up your, build up your spiritual strength. Uh, Build, build up your strength so that you can endure and resist to sin, even to the point of shedding your blood, like Jesus did in Hebrews 12.4. And then beg God for strength. Do not let him go until he blesses you. So the final marker, though, is the word of God. And we see the young men are over to, able to overthrow their sin. They're strong because they, the word of God abides in them. So if you're going to be defeating your sin, then we're expecting you love the Bible. Read the Bible um, and even come to all the services, that type of thing. I think uh, Mr. Mogobe is a great example here. He, he really loves the word. So if you want to progress spiritually, immerse yourself into this. When you immerse yourself into the Bible, then you'll be able to become strong and overthrowing your sin. But if you're, you're saying, but if you're saying, I'm not overthrowing my sin, I'm not overcoming, maybe it's because you're not reading your Bible or you're not, you're not really devoted to the Bible. You don't know what it knows. Uh, you don't know what it says. Sorry. And we see Jesus again is a great example here. By the age of 12, he was astounding his teachers at the synagogue with his knowledge of the word. So if you, if you want to overcome your sin and resist like Jesus did to the point of shedding the, your blood, then know the word, study the Bible. <clears throat> and we even see John tells us um, what Hebrews, something similar to what Hebrews says, that the weapon we are to use to overcome the evil one is the sword of the spirit. 
this is one that this is the only effectual weapon that can really resist the devil. You can try to bring all your arguments, but the devil will run circles around you in his logic and in his thinking if it comes to that. The only way you can really stand firm is if you have this, if you've really studied the Bible. So finally, let me close with a few uh, spiritual dangers of the young men. They might be tempted to, play, to run like Ahmaz without a message. They're, they're striving in vain for a goal that's uh, not relevant. I think that's my spiritual in, um, problem. The second problem is they might offend weaker Christians by means of their overbearing strength and dogmatism. These guys are so dedicated that they might offend weaker Christians. Romans 14, 13 and 1 Corinthians 9, 22, Paul even tells these churches, hey, watch out if, you're, if you've got some guys who are striving to overthrow their sin that they don't offend the weaker people, the weaker Christians in the church. Okay, so now we've seen these three groups. We've seen the young men, the little children, and the fathers. How are they, are these groups really the same? Are these kind of arbitrary distinctions? Or are these clear points in your life? And so um, the answer is both, different and yet the same, distinctives of each class. The little children are not, of act, not as active. They're less discerning, Hebrews 5.14. Um, <clears throat> they still sin much and they don't really realize it. Because of their weaker state, they're under attack from wolves, Matthew 18.6. Jesus even says, if you lead one of these little ones astray, then it's better that a millstone was hung around your neck. He's saying basically little ones are going to be especially susceptible to attack from false teachers. So you're going to have to, you're going to, have to watch out and protect the weaker brethren in your church that they don't, the uh, false teachers don't come into their lives. And then there's a special reward if you do serve them. For example, Matthew 12, 42 says, whoever brings to one of these little ones a glass of water in my name, he will not lose his reward. The young men, they're distinctives. The young men are very energetic. Every, every one of the attributes in these, uh, in the, the, uh, of the young men, strength, overcoming, and the word of God abiding, all has to do with force, power, energy. They're constantly fighting. They uniquely study the Bible. They tend to be very dogmatic. This is the type of, this type of personality is like the Luther type of personality that's going to say, here I stand, I can do no other. I'm not backing down at all for the truth. I'm valiant for the truth. I'm going to fight until the blood covers my face, but I'm not going to deny this. So that's, that's what they're going to tend to be like. And that's very useful because we get many missionaries, many pastors, many entrepreneurs start when they're young men. And so this is, that's, that's, a, that's a very useful attribute. The fathers, their markers, they're more contemplative. They've walked with God for many years and have deep-seated spiritual experience. They know much and can impart great wisdom. These are the guys with, they're, they're now getting gray hairs on their head. And Solomon even tells us in Proverbs to honor those with gray heads because we're, we expect them to have much more wisdom and they'll explain it to us much more. Um, but then here's how they're the same. In a sense, all these groups really are the same. If you're a little children, if you're a little child, if you're a young man, and if you're a father, because... If, if, if you're a young man, but your sins aren't forgiven, how is that helping you? You have to have your sins forgiven as the first step. On the other hand, if you're a child and there's no way in which you know the word of God, there's no way in which the word of God is abiding in you, then, are, then there's a real spiritual problem. So John, in a sense, all these groups are supposed to be the same. At some point in the Christian's life, 
we must match over all of these groups. And if we aren't, ooh, there's a real spiritual problem. Uh, Jesus even states, unless you are converted and become like the little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So we're expecting, well, you're going to be a father. You still have to be humble like the little children. You still have to be very low, low key in that sense and willing to admit your faults. <clears throat> and as we have already seen, if you do not kill your sin, you cannot be Christ's disciple. Thus, we all must be little children. But at some point in our spiritual walk, we have to know God. We have to really get down to contemplating so all of these three differences are in one sense the same and in another sense very distinct groups. So I close with a nearly perfect example from Pilgrim's Progress again. Uh, in Pilgrim's Progress we see when he first enters the gate he's like a little child. He's, he's, he's just glad his sins are forgiven. He's got a certificate. He, there are still walls on the side of the road. It's kind of like training wheels that are helping him. Once he reaches the palace, beautiful however, he's given armor He's now given a sword, and he's expected to go fight Apollyon. And he goes and he fights this terrible beast, Apollyon, and amazingly, he wins. This is, but that's illustrative of the time when he's a young man. He's now going out, he's fighting the devil. And then later on, as he approaches the celestial city, he sees the delectable mountains. He sees the celestial city off in a distance. He gets a glance at it. He's able to deal distinctly with uh, other false teachers like atheist and ignorance and talkative. So we see a perfect example there. And we are saved if we only have the, little, the first two groups. So if, you only, if, you're, if your sins are forgiven, you're going to heaven. That, that's, that's, that's the most important mark. That's the primary mark. But John wants us to know he, he expects us to be growing. 95, 98% of Christians should expect, I'm going to be growing. I'm going to be constantly moving upwards. This is not supposed to be a stationary. You're, you're not, the Christian life, there's nowhere in the Christian life where you just stay the same where you're supposed to coast for a long period of time. You're supposed to be constantly accelerating and growing in your spiritual power. And he says, he, uh, John 15, verse 5, He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. We should expect constant pruning and growth. <clears throat> Many of us grow in our knowledge also, but not in our spiritual experience. This is another problem we often bear, where we'll grow, we'll start learning the theological terms. We've memorized the books of the Bible we know the major characters, major stories. We know many theological terms. But we really don't have heartfelt experience. When's the last time when you've prayed for an hour straight, that type of thing? So we must beware of too much study, overkill on study, as Ecclesiastes says, without heartfelt love and adoration for Christ. If you are a father and young man, also, here's an application for you. Seek how you can build up the younger brethren in the church. So if you're, if you're right now saying, okay, I'm a young man, I'm going up, I've, I've, I'm, I'm, I'm not perfect, but I've got this pretty much settled, your goal should be, okay, let me go bring some others along. Find the guy in your church who's he's, he's really a weaker Christian. He needs help spiritually. He struggles to read his Bible, or he struggles to overthrow sin, or he struggles to come to church, or he struggles with whatever spiritual discipline. Help him out. Your goal, make it your goal to move Bring as many along with you to the heavenly city. It's not a, this is not a game where we're, it's just a one-man one show where you've got one star going forward. Try to bring others along with you. And we also learn, finally, no matter how weak your start, if you persevere and just continue to the end, you will be saved. If you, just start, if you start as a little faith, you start with a grain of mustard seed, it can grow into a great tree. 
We even see uh, all the disciples were given the title Ye of Little Faith in Matthew 8, 26. Uh, then again in Matthew 14, 31 with the boat and when Jesus calms the sea. Then again, he calls Peter. Oh, you're so, you're so weak in the faith when he doesn't believe to walk on the water. So we're expected that we should um, be growing. Even if you start weak, you can still grow up and um, earn a high place in heaven. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Lord God, thank you for inspiring John to give us this wonderful book. Thank you for telling us about these three groups, the children, the father, and the young men. And I pray that you would help us to overcome our sin, to defeat it. I pray that you would help us to have our sins forgiven, help us to know the father, help us to be dedicated Christians and to constantly be striving upwards, to let no part of our spiritual life be stationary, but to be constantly moving. In your name, amen. Thank you.